Hello, and welcome back to Deviant Little Darlings. I'm Katie. And I'm Olivia. And if you love hearing stories about all things taboo, scandalous, and out of this world, you are in the right place. So, this week is a very special episode. I mean, they pretty much all are, but... (laughs) It's another one of those ones where we're recording a little early because by the time this comes out, Katie is going to be in Seattle with me. Woo! Woo I am so excited. I mean, it feels like it wasn't that long ago that I was there, but also at the same time, it feels like it's been forever. Mm -hmm. So I'm excited. I can't wait to see your smiling face in person. Um, Olivia just informed me that it's probably going to be raining, which I I should have expected. I think most people listening will be like, yeah, you should have expected that. Yeah. I think the day before you get here, the weather is just lightning. Like that's just all it says. (laughs) Good, 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 good. That's going to be delightful. Yeah. But don't pack too cold of like clothes because it's kind of like a hot rain. It's weird. It's a little bit uncomfortable. A a September rain wants to confuse you, but yeah. It's like still summer, but also miserable. Love it. <laughs> I am really glad I chose to spend my weekend there. Just kidding. I actually am. Yes, I would not- spend my weekend with you guys in any weather conditions. And it's not just a weekend. It's your birthday weekend. <gasps> oh my so. gosh. Yeah. 22. When oh did we gosh. get old? I still feel like like sometimes I think about things and like oh I don't have to worry about that because I'm a minor and then I'm like wait but I'm very much not a minor like that was Mm -hmm. four years ago (laughs) Mm -hmm. there's a lot Um, of things that could go wrong now that you're a full full full-fledged adult (laughs) well good thing the only bad things are the things we talk about on podcasts (laughs) true And with that... (laughs) And with that, should we lead into a terrible story? Yes. Okay. So Katie informed me right before this that I am going first this week, which (laughs) I wasn't quite sure. Um, And before I tell you even what it is, I just want to preface it with it is going to be a deep dive down the line. So this is like the first one and I already have something planned for the second one. I don't know if it'll be next week. Maybe it'll be the week after. Um, but so this it, is like the pre-deep dive. This yeah. is setting the scene for the well, deep dive. They're completely separate stories that have nothing in common, but right. they like fall under the same category. And we're kind of heading into like the fall spooky Halloween time. So I wanted to do kind of more of those like classic scarier stories rather than, yeah, you know, like true crime. So if people out there listen and they don't like the ones that are like, you know, not verifiable facts. Like you might not love these ones, but okay. I mean, they're they're pretty thoroughly researched. I feel like over time. Yeah. So I am doing the story of the Annabelle doll. Oh yes. <laughs> so we've talked about it like a ton already because. You talk, We talked briefly about The Conjuring during Amityville Horror. We even mm-hmm. talked about it when she was like in the news recently, I think. We br- mentioned it on one of the episodes. Probably. I'm yeah, sure so we did. I had to go through the tracker and check to make sure you haven't done it already because it's been like <laughs> a topic. But I figured I might as well just do it and kind of tell the full story as was told by Ed and Lorraine Warren. And yeah, so. Oh, I'm so excited. I'm just going to hop right into it. I'm going to start by uh, 
kind of how the pop culture world got introduced to the Annabelle doll. So like the Conjuring movie, like we talked about. Um, and that movie like totally introduces us to Ed and Lorraine Warren and the idea of Annabelle. And it was a really good, uh, like hook to kick off the conjuring movie it was the first opening scene was basically the entire story of annabelle <laughs> um and it led to a spin-off series of movies about, called annabelle all about like her backstory and everything and if anyone has seen those they are really bad like they're just super cheesy <laughs> and i just it's so and bad is a horror movie expert so <laughs> Yeah, I, I saw them in theaters and I genuinely can't tell you what the plot was because I think I left like halfway through and just sat in the bathroom like waiting for it to end. Like it was just bad. Waiting for um, your ride. <laughs> exactly. But in all of the movies, the Annabelle doll, like her image is completely the same. She's this large, almost toddler sized doll of a girl with blonde hair and an old fashioned white dress. Um, but she has this very terrifying smile and a very furrowed brow. So her facial expression is just like evil. Mm -hmm. Um, And then to top it all off, she's covered in like dirt and cracks. And I think her dress is ripped and she just makes her like old and beaten. So it's like very, yeah. Neglected. Yeah, totally neglected, like sinister doll that no one would ever, because the movie is so cheesy because it's like these people see this like, hideous horrifying doll and they're like oh like how cute a little doll and so unrealistic okay totally um but no movie is quite as terrifying as those that are based on a true story and unfortunately that is the case with annabelle so i hate that i hate that so much (laughs) i remember the first time i saw the conjuring it's like that opening scene it's like the ominous movie like or music that's like wah and then it just says based on a true story and it You're really like, gets no you. thank you <laughs> yeah um but just like in the movie ed and lorraine warren were real life ghost hunters who worked on cases like the amityville horror house that katie already covered and uh they did in fact work on a case involving an annabelle doll um and the doll has been sitting in their occult museum for almost four decades now so snap this was all in the 70s it's been a really long time which is kind of crazy thinking about it because it's just been in the media kind of when those movies came out but like Mm -hmm. it's been decades old so i don't know i wonder what's been happening you know all but before conjuring okay so here's the story of the real annabelle so The Annabelle that Hollywood knows and loves today isn't quite what the real Annabelle looks like. The real Annabelle doll is actually a very large, classic Raggedy Ann doll. And depending on who you are, this might be like good or bad news. Because I was going to say, I feel like that's kind of worse in my opinion. Yes, I 100% agree. Because like to most people, the Raggedy Ann doll is this beloved character. She has adorable red yarn hair, a little triangle orange nose and she's like all plush and soft and like really cut like you can cuddle with her she's super cute uh but for some ungodly reason the toy company who manufactured them <laughs> made them like huge giant the, the, the picture of the annabelle doll i'm not even kidding you i had to cover it with my hand like as i was scrolling because oh. the doll's head is as big as lorraine's head that is so alarming, actually. It's super like, alarming. That thing could take you out. <laughs> yeah, and it, but it's like soft and squishy, and, and 
I've seen like a lot of TV shows from even like the 90s, 60s, 70s, anything like kind of, I don't know, pre-2000s. And it was really common for kids to just have these Raggedy Ann dolls that were like, not necessarily life-sized, but definitely like toddler, child, baby-sized. They were kind of big. I hate that. (laughs) I super hate it. And to me, this is especially terrifying because my entire life, I've had an irrational fear of inanimate objects with big, dark (laughs) eyes. Katie knows a few of them. Um, Oh, man. But like something about those, the eyes really get to me. And when I was growing up, my mom, she made me my own little Raggedy Ann doll. And it was super cute. It's like the total classic Raggedy Ann, but it's tiny. It's like, you know, a normal doll sized. Sure. But then, I don't know, someday just like, scared me so bad I had to put it in a drawer like never looked at it again I feel really bad uh so yeah long way of saying Raggedy Ann doll might actually be scarier than the demonic looking porcelain doll valid point Mm -hmm. um and so the story that the Warrens told after coming in contact you know with the doll is as follows so in 1970 two young nurses Donna and Angie were living together in an apartment For Donna's 28th birthday, she received a Raggedy Ann doll gift from her mother. So this is already... Yeah, I see your face. (laughs) Yep, I'm feeling (laughs) confused. (laughs) I already feel like I'm poking holes in this story because it seems like a really odd gift to give an almost 30-year-old woman. Mm -hmm. And I was kind of questioning the validity of everything because I was like, oh, where do they live? And I couldn't figure out like a location or anything like that. And then they just say the mom gave her a doll and so I was thinking, okay, maybe at first, like maybe the dolls were like peak popularity at the time and it was like mm. a very trendy gift to give, but I looked it up. Raggedy Ann <laughs> was created in 1915. So the dolls have been produced oh. for so long at this point. And so then I was thinking, well, maybe it was like an old thrifted doll or maybe it was, you know, something passed down from Donna's childhood. But one source says that this was like a brand new Raggedy Ann doll. So she just like went <laughs> so. to the toy store. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. Maybe the, she was like a collector of dolls or something. Did you see any info on that? I saw zero info on that. Okay. Um, so that cannot be substantiated. Yeah. <laughs> so it just seemed odd. But Donna was totally stoked about the doll. She like loved it. Um, maybe it was like a symbol for happier, simpler times. I don't really know. But she kept hmm. it on the living room couch as like decoration um, oh, in her no. apartment with Angie. Because they're kind of soft. So maybe it was kind of like, you know, you put it next to the throw pillow and you sit next to it. I don't know. Um, Can you imagine, though, like, I, like, invite you over to my house and there's a giant doll sitting on the couch? No, if I came home and one of my roommates did that, I would probably (laughs) move out immediately and never speak to them again. I guess I know what I'm bringing on Thursday. (laughs) (laughs) Please. Oh, yeah, that's what I'm getting you for your 22nd birthday. It's (laughs) perfect. A life-size raggedy and doll. (laughs) Um, okay. So yeah, she left it on the couch. Um, but they noticed that it often wasn't exactly where they left it. So sometimes it would be like on the floor or just a different part of the room. Um, but oftentimes they would find it in Donna's room and Donna and Angie like questioned each other about if either of them had moved the doll. Uh, but the only explanation that they came to was that the doll was moving by itself. Uh Oh, so, not only was, you know, it doing that, which was already too far for me, it, they also started finding these little notes scribbled on old parchment paper around their apartment. 
And keep in mind that the paper that these were written on were not was not any kind of paper that they had in the apartment before. So it was like hmm. manifesting. And then the notes would say things like, help me on them. Uh-oh. So, um, hmm. thanks. Yeah, nope. Uh, but that wasn't really the kicker. What really kind of set them off and get, had the alarm bells ringing was one day when Angie's boyfriend, Lou, came over and he was alone in the apartment and he had this story to tell. And there's two versions of the story. So I'm going to tell you the first one, which I think is probably what happened. Um, so he says that he heard a ton of rustling noises coming from inside of Donna's closed room and he thought that maybe it was an intruder because Donna and Angie were both away so he went into the room to look inside to see what was going on and he saw the doll laying face down in the middle of the floor he was originally worried that like someone was broken in um, but then he noted that the only thing out of place was the doll like no windows were Hmm. open nothing was shuffled around so he kind of figured that the wrestling noise was the doll moving because nothing else would moved sure the second version of the story is a little bit more dramatic, and they say that Lou was at home uh, in their apartment taking a nap, and he woke up to the, rea- the Raggedy Ann doll attacking him. No. But this is just so, like, Chucky and child's play to me. <laughs> I kind of think that people just added it on when retelling the story. Yeah. Um. But could you imagine, like, the soft, squishy little, like, uh-uh. hands on no. the raggedy hand doll? And then it's like a pillow the giant, fight, but... Yeah, but worse. And then the giant head staring at you. Like, the Mm-mm. eyeballs, I'm... Okay, the eyes are the thing I really can't get over. They are, like, complete black circles. It's just... <laughs> like, just voids of, like, voids terribleness. With then, like, a tiny little smile. And, oh, God, I can't. Oh, my God. <laughs> Like, I'm not even kidding. I don't even think... I was trying to figure out ways to ask you, but I don't even want to post it on Instagram because I don't want to scroll and look at it. So we'll figure uh, that's kind of something else out. <laughs> Anyways, in both versions of the story, however, it ends with Lou reporting that he felt very deep, hot pains on his skin, on his chest area. And then when he took his shirt off, he had these big three claw marks dug into his chest. What? Yes. So from a squishy thing. Yeah. So the it's like the first story is the doll was attacking, or sorry, the second story is the doll's attacking him, and then he gets these claw marks. But in that first story, he just walks into the room, and the claw marks like appear on him. I mean, if something is manifesting things, I guess that's not out of the question. Yeah. Yeah. So, but then, okay. So he tells everyone this, but then miraculously the claw marks all disappear within two to three days so but people like saw them before they disappeared well i think the only people reporting anything is lou donna and angie so he probably showed the girls when they got home and everything mm-hmm. but then once that they get someone else involved in a second probably once that person's there they're like gone so I got mean, it who are you gonna believe i don't know well with all these creepy things going on Thankfully, the girls decide to bring in some professional help, (laughs) Um, but they call a medium and they ask her to conduct a seance in their apartment. So while the medium comes over, she claims that a body of a seven-year-old girl named Annabelle Higgins had been found on the building site where they built the apartment complex like many, many years ago. And she was sensing that the spirit of this little girl was present 
Um, and the medium told Don and Angie that An- Annabelle found the doll. She loved it. And she wanted to basically live inside the doll so she could be cared for and be part of the family. I hate it. I hate it so much. Yeah, it's really not what you want to hear. But these two nurses were sympathetic. They helped people for a living. And especially having those notes that said, like, help me, they kind of felt compelled to do whatever they could to help this poor little girl, thinking that maybe if they helped them, they could help her, like, pass over to the other side kind of thing. Hmm. So they verbally allowed Annabelle to stay with them forever within this doll. Mm -hmm. Why would someone do that? You know, I really don't know. And I think that's one of the things that they will regret almost instantly. Like they're trying to get this medium to help them stop everything that's terrifying. And then they're just like, "Mm, okay, fine. You can stay forever and eternity. Like whatever. Yeah. No, thank you. That seems like a bad decision, but that might just be me. (laughs) Zero out of 10 mediums recommend. Um, but so, okay. So then I heard this story, right? And I was like, this is kind of like sketchy to me because the medium is looking at a raggedy Ann doll. And then the first name that she thinks of is Annabelle. Like Um. it, it just seems like mental association. Like she sees the Ann and then she makes it more, it sounds like more old timey and sweet by calling it Annabelle. Mm -hmm. So I think that's probably where that name came from because as we learned there might not even be an annabelle (gasps) spoilers okay well apparently mediums (laughs) (laughs) at this point the girls are probably like kicking themselves they feel so regretful for letting that happen because all of the weird bumps and noises and the notes and everything get so much stronger and worse so at this point, you know, Don and Angie don't really know what else to do, and they turn to the church for help. So they ask an Episcopal priest named Father Hagen to come to their home and just get rid of Annabelle's spirit so she could cross over. Because they think that she's just this tormented little girl, like, you know, the, Annabelle mm-hmm. doesn't want to be there. The girls don't want her there either. But Father Hagen gets a bad feeling about it, so he escalates it to um, his superior, Father Cook. And Father Cook gets a bad feeling about it. And he tells Ed and Lorraine Warren. So the church is like, nah, we're not going to touch this. We're bringing in the experts. Uh, And Ed and Lorraine hear about it and they get involved. And so the couple were, they were immediately concerned. And they actually said the following quote because they heard their story and they say, spirits do not possess inanimate objects like houses or toys. They possess people. An inhuman spirit can attach itself to a place or object, and this is what occurred in the Annabelle case. The spirit manipulated the doll and created the illusion of it being alive in order to get recognition. Truly, the spirit was not looking to stay attached to the doll. It was looking to possess a human host. I hate that information. Like, that really upsets me. Really not what you want to hear. Um, But that kind of reminds me of that whole poltergeist thing that we... Uh, definition Mm -hmm. that I talked about a couple of episodes ago (laughs) um, because it was saying that poltergeists don't like latch on to houses and properties like they do in the movies so because 
Ed and Lorraine knew that human spirits do not, you know, enter dolls the mm-hmm. way the medium said it did. They were like, uh-oh, that's not like, good. That is not this an is bad news. <laughs> yes. Uh, so with this knowledge, they determined whatever was haunting the doll had to be demonic and Father Cook performed an exorcism for them in the house. So at that point, whatever was kind of tormenting Don and Angie through the Annabelle doll seemed to go away. Um, and so it was like a success and everything. And Ed and Lorraine Warren took the Raggedy Ann doll back home to their house to keep in their Museum of the Occult. So they, um, if you've seen the movies, you may know this, but they have this whole museum of um, like artifacts that they keep from every serious case that they work on. So it's like a big room of haunted stuff. Um, so when they took the Annabelle doll, they had to make a special glass and wooden display case for her to sit in. Uh, but that is actually not the end of Annabelle's strange behavior because the Warrens claim that on the way home from the exorcism, they put Annabelle in the backseat of the car and they were worried that any residual energy would like be lingering with the doll and cause bad luck. So they avoided driving on the freeway because they didn't want to hurt themselves or anyone else. But while they were driving on those back roads, Ed reports that the car was expecting sudden brake failure and was stalling. Stop it. No. So they were kind of freaking out. They were glad they didn't go on the freeway because that would have been really bad. But the second he pulls out a bottle of holy water and splashes it on the doll, all the mechanical problems subsided and the car was totally fine. Stop it right now. (laughs) Yeah. That is, that one is actually, that horrifies me. The the thought of something controlling a motorized vehicle is horrifying. Well, that's the whole thing about this, like, spirit is kind of like i said in the poltergeist episode people believe that if it if some kind of ghost spirit demon whatever it is is manipulating and controlling objects that has to require that requires like a huge amount of energy and Mm -hmm. you know force so this demon whatever it is was like really had a lot of energy within it to actually manifest those paper notes out of nothing um so that kind of was the indication that was way stronger and like way more dangerous than a typical haunting um so even when even after the exorcism and the demon was considered like weakened or banished whatever you know happened it still had that power to like mess up their car i hate that yeah it's pretty terrible um And then they also claimed once they got the doll into the house, uh, because their museum was in the basement of their house that they lived in, it would sometimes be moved like out of the basement in the house. Like they would just see it around. Mm -mm. That doesn't sit well with me. No. And I don't know why they expected like a little case to keep it. (laughs) I I mean, it's like it didn't obviously stay on the couch with the other girls. So why is it? like just gonna stay with them what yeah good point (laughs) um but i guess it didn't happen for very long and they have a sign reading positively do not open in front of the case um and it has the case and the annabelle doll and the sign have all been there ever since um since the day it went there even after ed and lorena have both passed away so ed died first several years ago and then lorena or lorraine sorry died last year in 2019 
But in 2020, this all came resurfacing again because that tweet went out from like the museum or something saying that the Annabelle doll was missing from the case one night mm-hmm. and that it had escaped. But then shortly after, they tweeted again saying that it was found back in the case. So I don't know if this is another circumstance where like the doll just manifests and moves like how it's been reported in the past or if maybe this was like a prank to distract people i don't know but yeah that's the story of the real and terrifying raggedy ann annabelle doll all of that information is like simply too much for me to process um here's the thing initially when i'm thinking about it i'm like okay it sounds like these people or making it up or like one of the roommates is like trying to trick the other one she's hiding these notes you know something you just do practical jokes Mm -hmm. but once there's more people involved that's when it's like mm, seems real yeah but then so i was thinking about it because this is from the 70s right so in theory if this was actually happening was being reported there should be like sources and documents or whatever from that time but there, all the sources online are just kind of like retellings after the movie came out. Mm. So it's kind of hard to really track down like the validity of everything. And then once they bring in the medium, it's the medium's not going to be like, oh, this is all fake because right, like that's her job <laughs> to you know do those things. Right. So I don't know. It's hard to say. And if you don't believe the animal story, like then do you believe any of the Ed and Lorraine Warren stories? If if you think they're a hoax, like how did they make yeah. that their whole living based off of ghost hunting? I don't know. Right, It's a slippery <laughs> slope when you're like, what do you believe? Where do you draw the line? Yeah. But the first thing I thought of when you brought this up was when I was young, me and my two best friends were convinced our American Girl dolls like would move in the middle of the night. I don't know if oh it was gosh, like a yeah. just an us kind of thing. Did you th- like, did you ever think um, that? Okay. So I would like get my American girl dolls ready for bed because I think they uh-huh. like go to sleep with me. And then I would like expect them to wake up and like do things in the night and then like go back like to toy bed. story. Yeah. Like toys. And then they'd like be in the same positions when I woke up. It wasn't like oh, they moved or something. Well, but we were yeah. like convinced that they did move like we'd go to bed and we'd wake up and they'd be like holding hands and we didn't know if it was Cute. like the mom was doing something just to like make the magic or if it was like yeah. we were just crazy and they like that's what they were like when we fell asleep but we were convinced to be fair we believed a lot of weird things when we were kids but yeah my best friend and i too we were like convinced that we were witches for <laughs> like probably like two years that's um, so fun though i'm in <laughs> yeah okay and then this other thing about dolls I, this is like the last thing i have to say because i know kind of going long it's a short story oh no, this is great um okay i have loved dolls my whole life i had a million american girl dolls barbies bratz dolls my scene dolls like mm-hmm. Polly pockets every oh, type of doll my scene and those were so good <laughs> those were so good so trendy And so one year for, I don't even think it was like my birthday. It was just some random rainy Saturday. My mom was like, I have a super special surprise for you. And she took me to the doll museum that was in like downtown Bellevue, I think. Maybe it was, I think it was in downtown Bellevue. Wow. I was so excited. You walk in, it's this gorgeous place. They have like this massive dollhouse set up in the lobby. But then you go into the rooms (laughs) And it's like 
just thousands and thousands and thousands of dolls but the dolls are it's a museum so they're all really old like over a hundred years old and uh, dolls back then it would be like baby dolls wearing like full makeup because they were trying to look they were trying to look like hyper realistic but also like magical and imaginative and they were Mm -hmm. so terrifying and (laughs) they would have i can't even forget it like they had these walls of dolls like in glass and then they had drawers of dolls that you would like pull out and they'd be laying in there no and and they looked like dead little babies Uh or dead people and i was so freaked out and then there was this room called like the funeral room no and all of the doll i didn't go in i was I was crying my eyes out at this point because I was so scared (laughs) and I was standing outside the room because my mom went in and all the dolls were like posed as like corpses and coffins and all dressed in black. What kind of place is this? It was horrible and so some of the dolls some of them were like baby dolls some of them were like life-size dolls like huge. Oh no. Oh my god it was and I remember crying outside that um that room and the curator or whatever of the museum like went by and she was like, what's wrong with you? Like, why are you upset? And I was like, oh my God, how like, can someone, what? how can someone like stand to work here? Anyways, we never went back and they shut down like a couple of years later and it was Unsurprised. the worst ever. I mean, your mom was probably like, how can we get Olivia to stop making us buy her dolls? Let's take her no, to this horrifying museum. I mean, I did. I loved all so much. I went to an American girl doll fashion show. Where it was oh God, like so cute. little girls and their dolls were dressed up in the same outfits oh, and they would yeah. they would walk the runway and then we like had high tea and there oh, there were all yeah. the people chairs and all the doll chairs like it was the so doll cute. chairs that slide onto the table oh yeah totally but yeah that's not what the doll museum was like zero mm. out of ten recommend it was terrible yeah well yeah we'd give them a bad Yelp review if they were still in business but yeah hmm, no need. Anyways, so that was part one of my potential deep dive. Um, the next deep dive, I promise, it has nothing to do with Ed and Lorraine Warren. I know we've kind of talked about them a lot. That's but, true. Yeah. Dolls, man. They're crazy. Dolls are crazy. And I'm actually very excited to see what you're connecting to this story. That's like <laughs> not kind of connected, but is kind of connected. Yeah. Hmm. We'll see. We'll see if I'm I even curious. get to it. Maybe I just won't even do it and then I'll never address this statement and... <laughs> No one will know. <laughs> Maybe just like in a year you do something super random and you're like, this is my deep dive of the doll story. And everyone's yes. like, what? <laughs> um, okay. Yeah. All right. Thank you for giving me nightmares. Um, of course. Happy Halloween, everybody. Happy Halloween. <laughs> it's weird because Halloween does not feel that close, but it's we're, we're getting there. It feels like it here because it was smoky so mm. for a week, so it looked like it was foggy and cold and everything like that, even though it was actually sunny above the smoke. And then yeah. now it's like pouring rain and thunder and lightning, so it's it's just feels like fall. But Well, I'm excited. Yeah. How about is your story going to give me the spooks and creeps? It's like a different kind of spooky. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I'll just start. You know, so, you know, Dateline, like, uh, yes. Okay. So I feel like for me, at least that's one of those things that like you never plan on watching, but if it's on, you kind of like can't stop, you know? No, you truly can't. There's, um, it's like Dateline and Snapped. I love mm. Snapped. Yeah. It just like, it gets you. Mm-hmm. Even if you like, 
I had no time to be watching Dateline, but it was <laughs> happening. So this was probably about a month ago, and my dad just had flipped channels. It was on the TV. And there was this horrible cult story expose on. And that's actually what inspired my Heaven's Gate story from episode 19. Um, but today, I figured I'd just kind of go back to that original story and tell you what I know from that Dateline episode, because it is super wacky. Um, so this is like your semi-deep dive of Heaven's exactly. Gate that has nothing to do with it? <laughs> exactly. So it's like a half deep, half deep dive, you know? Yeah, like, a little mm. splash. <laughs> a little splash. I like that. Um, I guess Oxygen also has a series called Deadly Cults that features this story. Um, I haven't personally seen it, but saw some clips. Seems pretty good if you're interested in a, an opinion that's not mine. <laughs> Might be better. I can't tell you. I but. am not interested in an opinion that's not yours, for the record. Well, good. I'm very glad to hear that. <laughs> I was feeling a little insecure, actually. <laughs> um. So, this is the story of Angel's Landing. Not the one in Utah. No. That is a national park. This has nothing to do... Well, it's part of a national park. This has nothing to do with that. Also very terrifying. I went to it last summer, and I'm so afraid of... I feel like this episode, I'm just saying everything I'm afraid of. I'm super (laughs) afraid of heights, and I couldn't do it. I just sat, like on the rocks next to it and just watched oh, everyone else do it <laughs> that's that one it is pretty scary yeah. i don't know if i could do it i looked at it from below didn't attempt Oof. it <laughs> but anyway this angel's landing is a 20 acre property in wichita kansas and it gets its name from its leader lou castro who convinced his followers that his body was inhabited by an a thousand year old angel who could create rain heal the sick and see the future His followers were led to believe that he could also predict your death, but by his good grace, he would bring you back. So he would tell you when you were going to die, but you trusted him and he said he would take care of you after death. A little Mm -hmm. unclear on that, but yeah. Yeah. So Lou exploited weaknesses that all of his followers had. I mean, that's common in cult activity, unfortunately. You know, people just want to believe in something and these leaders take advantage wherever they can. On top of that, though, Lou had this mysterious wealth so he could like spoil anyone he really saw fit. He would buy them new cars and horses and they just really lived an extravagant lifestyle. So investigators first took note of Lou and Angel's Landing in 2003, noting his fancy cars, all worth over $40,000, a swimming pool and multiple houses. And they found it odd because Lou didn't seem to have a job. So where was this money coming from? We'll get there. (laughs) But on top of it, there's no record of a Lou Castro anywhere to be found. So he's a big question mark. Yeah, there's no paper trail. Nobody really knows who this guy is. So sorry, did he like offer an explanation for why maybe he didn't have? So, I mean, his followers didn't question it. No one really seemed to care about that. They were like, this is Lou Castro. That's fine by us. But the Mm -hmm. investigators are the ones who, I mean, they were like, what is this guy up to? And then they're like, wait a minute. A Lou Castro doesn't exist. Weird. Ooh, I'm so so intrigued. I don't think I've ever actually heard this story. Oh, neither had I. And then all of a sudden, I think it's kind of like a breaking story. I mean, obviously it happened in the past, but... I th- the Oxygen one and the Dateline one uh, both came out earlier this year. So perhaps it's 
I don't know, more uh, new to the public eye. So ultimately, a woman named Sarah McGrath escapes the cult and with the encouragement of her now husband, she like alerts the authorities. We'll get to that part, but I just want to say that because a lot of this info is based on her recollection of the events. Um, So McGrath and her family joined the commune around 2001. So I'm backtracking a little bit, um, but her mom was a real estate agent named Jennifer Hudson, and she actually sold Lou Castro a house. So that's how they met. And apparently in her journal, the mom wrote that she felt like she needed to protect Lou. So he kind of appealed to her nurturing and thoughtful nature. Um, So I kind of get the feeling that he could just turn on a different personality to appeal to different people. And that's what made him seem so charismatic. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, McGrath, uh, the daughter, was in her mid-teens at the time that she and her younger sister joined Castro with their mom. So she said it all seemed amazing, like too good to be true. Until Castro started raping her. Um, And he claimed that as an angel, he needed to have sex with young girls to stay alive. And I don't think mm, they yeah. in that um that Christmas movie, uh, <laughs> It's a Wonderful Life, when they're talking about angels. I don't really remember that part of yeah. the whole like angel deal. Yeah, I think this one is a little um off book. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, gone off script on that one. Yeah, just a little bit. Um, but through his uh, ultimately his trials, it was revealed that his victims ranged from eight to sixteen years old. Which is absolutely oh horrible. Yeah. Um, and wow, this is absolutely horrible. It was only one piece of this just like absolutely heinous puzzle. Um, so also in 2001, a woman named Mona Griffith, who was a follower of Castro, her boyfriend and her 12-year-old daughter were killed in a tragic plane crash. And I would call it a tragic accident, but apparently while the landing gear was down, none of like the flaps that they used to decelerate were open so investigators believed that this was an intentional crash like they just went full speed down apparently oh man so that's like one of the first tragic deaths Mm -hmm. and then in 2003 another follower of castro patricia hughes drowned in a pool at the compound and she was supposedly trying to rescue her daughter from drowning and couldn't save herself That's the story the authorities got anyway. Um, But in the Dateline episode, one of the McGrath sisters, I believe it was the younger one, revealed that Castro had told her to take Hugh's daughter and hide in a shed, wait a certain amount of time, and then come out, jump in the pool to make the story believable so everyone was wet and it looked like there was a rescue going on, and then call an ambulance. But while she was hiding in the shed, she heard a scream, a splash, and then... She did as she was told. She found Patricia's dead body in the pool. She jumped in the pool and then called an ambulance. And she went along with it, apparently, because Castro had, I mentioned this, but he had convinced his followers that he could bring these people back from the dead. And he had apparently said earlier that day, like, this is Patricia's time. She's ready. Um, Because, yeah, he could supposedly predict these deaths. Wouldn't, though, the first time, like, a horrible death happened and they didn't come back to life, people would be like, hmm, I don't know about this guy. Like, he's not following through. You'd think that that would be the case. Um, Unfortunately, only the investigators were really catching on. But, so, 
In reality, while he claimed that he could predict deaths, he was actually just like killing people and collecting their life insurance. Um, An article from the Wichita Eagle claims that the life insurance payout just for Hugh's death exceeded $1 million. Oh my God. So this is where that wealth kind of comes in. um, And really where investigators started to catch on was after Patricia's death. So they could finally say something weird was going on at Angel's Landing. Yeah. And then they took note of the fact that Mona Griffith's obituary, so she's the one that died in the plane crash, stated that Lou Castro was her brother. So now we have a mysterious Lou Castro connected to two accidental deaths, and nobody can identify who he actually is. Plus, he's rich, and everyone's like, something just doesn't make sense here. I bet, like, when he's predicting those deaths, obviously, because he's, you know, knows he's about to commit them, Mm -hmm. um, the followers are probably like oh my god he was right about the first part and then when the second part like doesn't come true like they don't come back to life they're like but i mean the first part happened so like that's probably kind of what got them hooked that's exactly which is horrible but this Mm -hmm. is a man that they trust so they're like he was right about part of it yeah well yeah so brian hughes patricia's husband became severely depressed after her drowning and Castro comforted him by sharing that one day he would be able to go to the other side to be with her, I guess. So this wasn't necessarily a promise of coming back. This was like, you'll be able to go to the other side. Mm-hmm. And in 2006, the cycle persisted and Hughes was killed when a carjack failed and crushed him. And he left oh. custody of his young daughter to Jennifer Hudson, who is Sarah McGrath's mom. So she's the one that got the girls in mm-hmm. this situation. So, a, sorry, what's a carjack? Like, I think he worked at like an auto um, part. I don't know, auto gotcha, store, gotcha. and it was that's one of those things that like jacks up the car so you can get under it. Oh, but okay. Again, I was thinking for some reason he was in the car, and I was like, how yeah. did that get on top of him? Okay, that makes no, sense. He was. I think he was under it, but again, I believe there were some just kind of confusing, mysterious circumstances to how this mm-hmm. occurred. Totally, um, totally. So Jennifer now has custody of this young daughter, but she unfortunately died in a traffic accident in 2008. But it's not really an accident because she drove her car into a fully loaded truck and was killed upon impact. So we're seeing this alarming pattern of deaths that are like thinly veiled as accidents. And Jennifer really seems susceptible to lose personality. So I don't see it as unlikely that he could have told her to do this and then she did like she seemed particularly i mean i said it susceptible to everything he said yeah i mean he he could have just told her like you're gonna die today and then exactly she sees like the truck and she thinks she's like getting a message of like oh this is it mm-hmm. and just does it like that might be all he has to do you know exactly which is in their heads horrifying to think about um so, one of the investigators finally picked up on this. Uh, basically, expensive life insurance policies were taken out on people within the compound. And then they were cashed in by different members. So, I guess it was kind of like a way to hide the fact that he was doing this. But every two and a half years, they would have burned through almost all of their money and someone would die. And then they would collect the life insurance policy and it would start all over again. It was like clockwork, like 
two and a half years, something tragic happened. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So this guy named, his name is actually, last name is Goodwin. He's the investigator. He's obsessed at this point. Like he's been trying to figure out what's going on from the very beginning. I mean, rightfully so. He's trying all the tricks in the book. He's following him around to try to lift fingerprints. He's going through his trash, but with no luck. That would just be so frustrating. And at this point, he's getting stressed because it's been like two years and he thinks someone's going to die. Like, I need to solve this before another person dies. Time's ticking. It's a clear pattern. I wonder, Mm -hmm. too, if someone was like in this cult and they're like the finance guy or something. They're like, oh, (laughs) dang, like we're really running out of, you know, so-and-so's life insurance money. Like, I don't like I don't want to be morbid, but like we need to get more, you know, life insurance money. And then someone dies and they're like, oh, my God, like how, how did that happen? That just sounds honestly, too, it sounds too obvious to not realize like what's going I mean, on. I know, but I think, well, so another thing that I am, was going to mention later, but I might as well mention it now is that they would move from like different states. So I think that was part of the reason that they weren't totally connecting the dots was because oh. this was happening. I mean, they were at this angel's landing for a while and that's where most of this stuff went down, but they would move, which I think, you know, different state jurisdiction they don't really talk to each other so i don't know it's interesting and it's very sad um Mm -hmm. after jennifer's death so this is the mom again i kind of am going back between a few stories but sarah turned to her now husband daniel for comfort understandably you're like what is going on in my life and this is when they kind of started to say like He said they were going to come back, but I just saw the last two people. They didn't come back. Like, my mom's not going to come back. Like, this is horrible. And because Daniel was separate from it and he kind of had that outsider perspective, he was like, something's not right here. This is not okay. So he sent an email to the FBI in 2010 telling them he thought there were financial crimes and abuse going on at Angel's Landing. And so the FBI got involved and began working with Goodwin And they discovered that Castro was actually moving every few years, like I said, and taking on different identities to keep people off his trail. So that's why he could never be identified was because he actually was a man named Daniel Perez, who already had a criminal record. Um, But in 2015, he was charged with 28 felonies, including, including child exploitation, fraud, rape, and first degree murder. He was convicted on all counts and sentenced to two life sentences plus 406 months with, (laughs) I don't know what I wrote here, plus 406 months without the possibility of parole for 80 years. Okay. So he was finally apprehended. Uh, He will be in prison for his entire life, Um, Mm -hmm. but it's just very horrible and you'd think that like someone with a record wouldn't be able to just like slip away and start doing stuff like this but alas he did and I don't really have a conclusion to this story which is why I'm starting to ramble but I did want to add Sarah has said that she didn't even realize she was in a cult until she had been out for a few years which Mm -hmm. is so scary to think about like you think this is just your life but it's not it's bad I have a question so he 
so you said that he like assumed multiple identities so he was like mm-hmm. hard to track down did he ever run angel's landing from a different name or was he always lou during this time frame no i think when i uh, i so here's the funny thing i watched the dateline thing and then i was reading a bunch of articles about it to do this research and a lot of the, I felt like there was some things in the Dateline episode that I like couldn't find online, but I also mm-hmm. couldn't watch the Dateline episode again. I'm pretty sure that they moved and they all did start calling him a different name. Like, I think he was something okay. before he was Lou and then they all started yeah. calling him Lou. And I think, I, I don't know. I'm sure it was like as an angel, a different angel is possessing me now. You have to call me, mm-hmm. you know, probably something like that. Yeah. So oh my gosh. they just did whatever he said to do and... Like, it's actually horrible. And if you yeah. are interested, the episodes are very interesting and there's a lot of personal interviews. So, very creepy. I Whenever I think of Dateline, I always think of, like, the same stories of, like, a woman goes missing and then she's found <laughs> and it's, like, the husband did it. But yep. this is so, you know, creepy, especially since she didn't know that she was even a part of it right because to us we're listening we're like oh it's so obvious yeah like he's obviously killing these people he's obviously gonna do it again like you know but Mm -hmm. uh, how hard and i bet it was really hard for her to even think about it because when her mom died it's like he's the person there consoling her and you know leading her through it so it's like Mm -hmm. the one father figure type you know stable figure in your life is Mm -hmm. now the murderer that's just unfathomable and it's just it's also interesting because she actually they do have the two sisters have a father and they Mm -hmm. like moved away from their father i mean the parents were separated but they moved away from the father to go live at angel's landing and i think that was also very hard because they were confused about well my Mm -hmm. dad is in this part of my life this is happening in this part of my life and i think ultimately the dad ended up being kind of like shut out by lou by the mom all that kind of stuff so it was a very isolating experience but that he was like buying like the day that patricia hughes died he went and bought mm-hmm. one of the girls a car like oh so it was very um like i what's the word i don't know he was like bribing their affection because yeah, he had all this like money manipulative. from killing people he sounds like a modern day um hh holmes like not as mm-hmm. not as gruesome but like the whole life insurance policy thing yeah totally killing people for money and it's weird because I remember when you told that story, you said that at the time it was easy to just like take out a life insurance or sorry, life mm-hmm. insurance policy on somebody. But now things have changed. Like I even, I worked in life insurance like a year ago. Like I know <laughs> how this works and it's you can't just, you know, write a po- policy for someone else that yeah. you have no relation to, especially if you have no identity, no like you know paperwork well i think that's part of how he was identified as like her brother in that one obituary like i think they were creating these like false narratives about the relation between these people Mm -hmm. and i don't know how you can fake that but but he was probably like oh you trust me enough like you know i'm like a brother like Mm -hmm. i'm closer to you than any real family like he probably was saying that kind of stuff and then exactly and got them to willingly do it. Because I think with the H.H. Holmes thing, people didn't know that they had a life insurance. Yeah. Or he was just Life insurance Life insurance <laughs> policy. Um, yeah. But in this one, I'm fairly certain they knew. Mm-hmm. 
it's just alarming to think about. And this was, I mean, in the last 10 years, you know? Yeah. Oh my gosh. How have I not heard of this at all? That's crazy. It's a random one. That's the thing that's kind of scary is that there's mm-hmm. could very well be random cults all across the country. Totally. This reminds me of a movie. It was this kind of similar situation where I was like watching TV one day, flipping through channels. Mm-hmm. And then this random movie comes on like ABC Family or something. And I had no idea what it was. Never heard of it. And I was about to turn the TV off. Like I was done. But then I was like, mm, mm-hmm. I think I'll just like check it out. And it was fiction, but it was a story about this couple and call it kind of like the whole Heaven's Gate thing where they got really into the Bible study. Oh, yeah. But then one of them was kind of the guy like went way more overboard and he started this whole cult and it was the whole manipulation. It was from the woman's perspective of like how she got roped into it and how mm. like she went through with everything and how if she ever questioned something like everyone turned against her and she was yeah. so evil and oh like it's just crazy what these people are going through and it's so sad it is so sad i think that's the one thing that really gets me about all these cult stories it's just it's sad mm-hmm. and i feel like i i just feel horrible for these people that feel so misguided in life that this is what happens and you know that woman who the mom who had the two daughters and she brought her daughters into it if she could have looked from an outside's perspective you know obviously after she had died and she if she were to see that she brought her family and her kids into the situation where someone was you know a murderer she got killed they were left without a family like they went mm-hmm. through abuse she would have never done something like that oh, but yeah. you just don't know Ugh. Ugh so sad well on that horrible note (laughs) um (laughs) we had two spectrums of like terrible things today we had creepy scary and then just like psychologically chilling and another kind of haunting (laughs) another kind of haunting two types of hauntings today people and Uh, yeah and now i just feel kind of depressed but it's okay (laughs) it's okay we're all good yeah just you know if you're listening out there just check yourself once in a while do the quick you know debrief of like am i in a cult right now (laughs) am i leading a cult right now like you Mm. never know Mm -hmm. very Mm -hmm. important do a little self check Mm -hmm. keep that in the back of your mind you never know what could happen these days people All right, you guys. Well, thank you so much for listening to this one. We had some very spooky stories for you. If you would like to see pictures of everything we talked about, maybe the hideous Annabelle doll or the Raggedy Ann doll or of Lou Castro and the horrific Angel's Landing story, please check us out on our Instagram. You can find us at DeviantLittleDarlings. Um, give us a follow, give us a like, you can comment or DM us with any kind of questions or suggestions or anything you have. Um, you can also email us at deviantlittledarlings at gmail.com and we'd love to hear from you. Yeah. And if you feel like you want to listen on a different platform, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Breaker, Google Podcasts, Overcast, Pocket Cast, Radio Public, Spotify, and anchor.fm slash deviant little darlings give us a download give us a heart give us a review wherever (laughs) you can um and yeah we would love to hear from you guys so don't forget that we will respond because no one else (laughs) talks to us (laughs) that's true if you email us or reach out to us right now 
you will be the first <laughs> yes thank you we've, we've had a couple we've had some dms no and we have we get emails, some love so we do yes thank you to everybody <laughs> Yeah, and don't forget to check out the Instagram filters. They're still up. They're still super cute and fun. Um, check out the little heart, uh, rose on your cheek or the what episode haunts you. Yeah. probably This one's going to haunt me for a while. I'll tell you that. Oh, certainly. <laughs> we might have to redo <laughs> that filter. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, enjoy this episode this weekend. I know I will because I'll be with my best friends in Seattle. Um, (laughs) But we will see you next week. That's for sure. Yeah. Bye guys.